I knew then that that was going to be my foray back into the theatre, that I was going to do this, and that I wasn't going to be at the mercy of casting directors and the whole audition process and the rest of it. This was going to be my step back in, and it would be the thing I would always go to when I wasn't being engaged as an actor somewhere else. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, this is Brie Noble, and you are tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. Today on the show, I talk with Fiona Jane Weston. And as I mentioned during our interview, we met in a class that we're taking together online about how to get more publicity. And she was a fascinating figure to me because she does cabaret shows, and that's not Anything that I've talked about on this show, I haven't interviewed any cabaret artists before. So I thought this would be really interesting. She weaves history and biography and just great stories into her shows. And they are one woman shows that she produces and puts on uh, at different theaters. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting interview. It's also an interesting interview because as we talk, she discovers that there are some things that she really needs to work on in relation to her career that she has kind of uh, put to the to the side. And, you know, it's funny because she's actually now in my academy and she's just a great contribution to what's going on in the Female Musician Academy. So I know you're going to enjoy her interview. On top of all that, she's just an extremely delightful person and you'll love her accent. So let me tell you a little bit about Fiona Jane Weston. Fiona Jane Weston is an actress, singer, and writer whose solo shows have played to packed houses in London, at the Other Palace, The Pheasantry, and many more, as well as on national and overseas tours. She has received rave reviews for her unique take on historical themes and key events in history, especially women's history, and leaves the audience inspired and delighted by the stories and achievements of our ancestral sisters. Highly acclaimed shows include Wartime Women, Looking at the Roles Women Have Historically Played in Warfare, and Looking for Lansbury, Celebrating the Life, Heritage, and Extraordinary Career of Dame Angela Lansbury and musical chat show, Fiona Jane and West End Friends. Here's my interview with Fiona Jane Weston. So that's a little bit about Fiona Jane Weston. So Fiona Jane, let us know, is there anything about you that's maybe a little bit quirky, different, unique, that's not mentioned in your bio that you think our listeners should know? Okay. Um, Well, I came from a very academic family who didn't approve at all of my interest in going into the theatre. I mean, it was all very well to study it as a little sideline, but, you know, they had very strong opinions of my going to university and becoming an academic like my father, although I was never scientifically inclined, so it was always going to be in the arts, and they could 
kind of understand that, but anything to do with actually getting up and performing was not considered to be something that I should have really wanted to go into. So um, I always knew, though, I always knew that I was going to be on stage. I always knew I was going to go into theatre in one way or another. But eventually, under the pressure of it all, I did start an academic course at the university that was brand new in a brand new university called Modern, Modern Asian Studies. And I studied Mandarin Chinese. And um, while doing that, I was always interested in women's history as well. I'd grown, I'd grown up in a, um, an all-girls school, and so and in Queensland as well, and in Australia, I have a, quite a, a varied background of countries that I've lived in. And in Australia, that's where Jermaine Greer came from in Queensland, and she started up all of the women's studies and so on. So I had already developed an interest in women's history and the, the status of women in, in, in society. So when I was at university, I looked at the changing status of women in Chinese society, as well as learning Mandarin, and I also looked at the arts as propaganda that was used at the time of the revolution. So my interest in history and the arts, and I suppose modern sociology, and to some extent politics, of course, all came together, and it was all being fostered without really um, my parents understanding that this was going to take me on a particular journey I think <laughs> mm, yeah no I love that because I think I have a background in uh, liberal arts as well and I think that all of that plays into our careers as musicians being well-rounded and and learning you know things from other cultures and other time periods I think that all plays a part and it, it's all kind of becomes this big you know um pool of knowledge and experience that we pull from as musicians. So I think it's all very valuable. And I, I'm glad that, you know, your parents, like, hopefully they, they've eventually understood how that kind of works together. Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't really say that I ever really came to terms with it, if I'm, if I'm really truly honest. Um, my father now has passed away, but I mean, certainly before he died, you know, I knew that he really wanted me to become a doctor or a professor or mm. something like that. That's, I think that would have been his dream. And my mother too, she would have really preferred all that. And even now, if I, you know, on, on the occasions that I speak to her, I mean, she's still in Australia, so we don't talk about it all that often. But when she does, it's, she'll say something along the lines of, um, and how's your theatre career going? Think oh, getting oh. anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with that that tone of voice. <laughs> oh, it's charming, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. I didn't experience it myself, but I definitely hear from a lot of musicians that that have that kind of like you go to a family reunion and they're like, "So, like, what's going on with your music these days?" And they're very like incredulous about it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and if you're not number one hit, you obviously a complete failure. Totally, totally. <laughs> So I want to find out, how did you get started in music? And obviously, theater has a lot to do with this as well. So just kind of give us your background in how you got started in, in music in the theater arts. Right. Well, it, the interest in it really started when I was very small indeed. I mean, I started school when I was four. And um, there was a dance teacher that used to come into the school. And she, I just was fascinated by her completely. I just kind of knew then, in a way, that I wanted to go in that direction. And we had elocution lessons there, and we did poetry, which I called poetry because I was too small to be able to say it. 
Mm. I would give my little poetry concerts at home. And it sort of started with that and dancing. Um, and singing was a natural part of all of that. And mm. it became, as I became more interested in acting later on, singing was another way of expressing a story, expressing an emotion for the character. And it wasn't, I mean, of course, the music moved me very much, but it wasn't really the music as such, I feel. I think it was more a case of wanting to express the word through a musical medium because you could do it in a different way and in a more heightened way. And it seemed to make sense to me to put the two together, which in the States is much more understood than it is here. Here, there's it's changing, but really traditionally, we've had two bandwidths, I suppose. You know, you've had proper... Well-crafted plays, thank you very much, in the proper theatre. And you've also had musical theatre, which those in the theatre didn't really approve of. Mm. So we, you know, it's, but to me, I, I could never understand. Why, well, why would you feel that way about it? Uh, so I went very much into theatre and I became an actress. But I always knew that singing had to be part of that because it was another form of telling a story, just as you would in dance or in poetry or or writing it, I mean, you know, or, or lighting even, you know, it's all about getting that story out. And these are all ways that go into one big storytelling thing that is going to be the thing that's going to move everybody and want to be engaged with you. That to me seems to be obvious and clear. And it, it just wasn't obvious and clear to the people I was talking to at the time. I think that's so cool because I think most musicians approach it from a the other side of it, kind of. They they love their music. They feel compelled to make their music, but they have a hard time understanding that like their music is a vehicle to tell a story and to move people. And, you know, I've experienced with some, you know, my academy members and stuff like educating them in this area. Like it's not just about your song. Like your song is meant to do something for other people and it will. And you're approaching it from the other side because you're approaching it from the theater. Like you're already telling stories and music is just the other medium that you can use. And I love that. Like, I I think that you're actually ahead of the game from a lot of musicians in that way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's sometimes it does lead to some rather interesting conversations with my pianist Mm. um, who wants me to do it the way it's written. And I say, but it's better from a story if I do it like this. And so, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's quite interesting to have those two conversations going. Sometimes it gets heated, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. That's funny. I mean, if you, you've got the, tech, the really technical person and then you've got the person that just wants to like go with the flow and really, you know, be all about the connection. And we really have to meet somewhere in the middle, right? We can't just yeah. totally jump off the technique wagon either. No, 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 you really can't. Otherwise, everybody gets completely lost with each other. Right. And also from, the, from um, a technical point of view of singing, using your voice well. Because if you're in a theatre, and um, a lot of those, the sort of shows that I do, there's songs from all the different genres. So you've really got to be able to stretch your voice into all kinds of ways. You've got to be able to sing a classical song, followed by a blues, followed by a massive belt music theatre type song, followed by something very gentle. And, and then you're speaking in between. If you don't have control of your technique, you're going to run out of voice. Absolutely. You definitely are. And that's a good point. You're, you're covering so many different styles of music that you need to have that major flexibility in your voice. So how did you, 
like you became an actress, music kind of came along with that. You went to university. Like, how did you, did, have you gotten training in music along the way? And how did you, you know, kind of move into this cabaret area? Well, the cabaret started because I was, uh, I was moaning to a friend once about how I couldn't get any work. I was in the choir, the students in the choir. And she came back the following week and said, my mother was an opera singer and she was like you. And she earned money in between teaching um, and teaching young children. And I was already teaching young children to sing and dance and, and, and you know, just, just, you know, little sort of baby ballet mixed with a bit of drama in it. And so Cute. So, <laughs> and so I thought, well, why don't I utilize that? And I already had the degree. So I just needed to have another year to get the teaching qualification. So I did that. What I didn't realize at the time until later really was I then would have to spend another year full of time teaching properly in schools, in the primary school. And I realized within about 10 minutes that this was not my best move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was not particularly happy, not because I didn't like teaching the children. They weren't the problem. It was the it was all of the bureaucracy and ah. the, oh dear and and the the power that a lot of parents have to just come in and go into the classroom and just almost take over your life and I thought this isn't what I, this isn't what I want to do because actually I was being hemmed into a box that mm. wasn't about being creative at all so then I became ill not because of time because of teaching because I was ill anyway and then I had to take some time off work and during that time I decided to study for the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, which is Lambda for short. And I thought I'd take a teaching qualification with them. And part of that teaching qualification meant you had to take a whole century of the drama content, the poetry content, and also um, the, what was the other one? It's gone. Anyway, but uh, the thing was, I had to get all of these three genres into my exam. And I chose, like an idiot, the 20th century. Because, of course, I felt that I knew about the drama content. Uh, oh, that's right, the literature, the, um, the novels and literature that was written. And my teacher did say to me, she said, I understand why you'd like to take the 20th century, but you must understand that that's when almost everybody can read and write. So you're going to have a, a vast array of work. However, mm-hmm. I took it. Um, and I, <laughs> I did pass it. And then the second part of that exam was you had to do a 20-minute presentation where all of these three genres were, were to be featured in your 20-minute presentation. And that became the basis of the first cabaret, which had a lot of drama content in it and a lot of spoken word. And I approached the director that I knew, and I brought in these songs I wanted to do. And it, I did it on 20th century women, looking at the preoccupations and changing status of women in the Western world over the 20th century and into the 21st. And that was how my first cabaret was born. Oh man, and there's so much. I mean, there's so much that has changed for women in the 20th century, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Almost most of what's, you know, what has changed for us. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then from that, because I had this working cabaret going, a man from the States who's since passed away, but he was a remarkable person called Erd Rabel. He had a course going at Yale University, and he was auditioning all over the world to get people to go into this course, and he had been going for about nearly 10 years. And he auditioned me, and to my amazement, he gave me place. Hmm. And um, I said, I, 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 I can't go, I can't go. Um, I can't afford this. What with the fare and staying over there and so on? And then he said, we really want you to come and, and have a scholarship. So I went to Yale, and that... Wow. And I looked, I, we studied properly the art of cabaret there. And that changed my whole 
perspective on things. I knew then that that was going to be my foray back into the theatre, that I was going to do this, and that I wasn't going to be at the mercy of casting directors and the whole audition process and the rest of it. This was going to be my step back in, and it would be the thing I would always go to when I wasn't being engaged as an actor somewhere else. Mm. I love that because it's almost like becoming an independent artist in the theater, right? With with musicians. It's like, you know, no, I'm not going to wait for, you know, some decision maker to give me an in. I'm not going to wait for a record deal. I'm going to go out and I'm going to forge my own career. And that's kind of what you did in the theater and cabaret genre. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So smart. I love that. Thank you. So gutsy. So I want to get into a little bit more about your shows and everything in a minute. But first I wanted to ask, like at this point, are you, do you consider yourself a full-time musician? Are you making all your money from music or do you have kind of other side jobs? And even if they're like music related jobs, are they things other than, you know, your main musical interests? No, unfortunately, I do have to um, work elsewhere as well. I mean, mostly I do, because quite honestly, to do all of these things, to produce your own shows, which I actually more or less am a producer by doing it, Mm. um, that I have to spend so much time doing that, that I can't work full time anywhere else either. And juggling that and balancing that is always a a major issue. So I, I must say, where the teaching came in handy was that being now qualified and all the rest of it, I can tutor pupils in their own homes. And we have some private schools here in London that are quite difficult to get into and very competitive. And parents sometimes engage me to come into their homes and tutor their children to go into these exams. So that can be helpful. And also that's a good way of earning quite a lot of money in a short space of time. And I also have one day a week, which I do in a very expensive clothes shop in uh, Sloan Square, my dear, for very expensive ladies. Mm. <laughs> and so I work there for one day, which is actually quite nice. It's a completely different thing to do, and it sort of clears my head of a lot of the other things I'm doing. But what I really want to do, one of my big goals, definitely, is to be working full-time all the time on my music and theatre career. And, uh, and listening to your summit, I've realised there's a whole lot of ways that I've never even considered before. And it's time I consider them. I'm going to do them all. <laughs> oh, you're going to do them all. Okay, well, you well, keep posted all. on that. I want to hear about how you do all 33 of them. <laughs> I might start with about 10. <laughs> That'd be good. That's funny. So, I mean, since we're on this subject, I wanted to find out, like, right now, what do your streams of income from music look like? Are you mostly bringing in money from your cabaret shows? Are you doing other things? Um, are you doing any vocals for other people or performing in other kinds of venues? Well, mostly it would be from ticket sales of my own shows. But also uh, one of the things that I started to do um, about a year and a half ago was I I managed to get a regular slot somewhere, and uh, including on a boat, which is another story, where I have a kind of guest show, like almost like a chat show. So I will open the the show with a song or two and explain to all the audience what I'm going to do. And I bring on guest artists one by one to have a cup of tea with me, literally, on on stage. And they talk about what they do and their work and so on. And then they get up and they demonstrate some of that. And if they're a composer and they don't sing or or if they're a a director or someone and they might want to bring someone to demonstrate their work, then they can do that too. And they bring in the guests and sometimes they bring in their own musical directors and it's formed a kind of a hub and a community for for people so being able to do that reasonably regularly 
was was very helpful. And so that's an actual paid, like you, you make money from ticket sales or how does that work? I make money. I make some money from ticket sales. It depends on how many people get through. It's one of the biggest difficulties in London is the transport can suddenly become very difficult. Oh. Um, it really can. And people come from all over the place. For example, I had this massive show. People wanted to come. They said they wanted to come last year to a show on, on the barge because I was working on this boat and the Thames Tideway Tunnel had to go underneath it. So the boat's been towed away and it went a bit later than we thought it might go. So I said, well, look, do you fancy if we, what if we do a Christmas show? And people said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And we had a nice full house that day. So I said, all right. And I, I put together this enormous Christmas show. And on that particular day, the weather decided that it was going to snow and be icy. Oh. And the train said, no, we're not going to run virtually. And so they, everybody was saying, oh, no, 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 don't go. It's just public transport. We won't get to get me through. And I virtually had no people come at all. Oh. So, yeah, all of a sudden, anything that I had made suddenly disappeared. You know, and, and, and I only really just covered the cost. And that was it. Oh, and man. So I'm very much at the mercy of all of that, um, which is why I thought maybe a bit of live streaming might help. And I also think, too, I've really got to start looking at other things. I mean, I've never even cut a CD or anything like that. Mm. So I need to get that and get some merch going and, and generally look at some of the things that you mentioned in, in the in the summit and, um, and just see what else I can do to help things move through. Cool. I'm so glad that that's helpful. And you know, what I think is great is for you, like you've got this one or two streams of income that you've got really dialed in. And then, you know, then you can go start looking to add more and keep up the ones that you've got going for sure. So I wanted to find out uh, about your cabaret shows. Like what gave you the idea to do the Wartime Women, which sounds really awesome. And also the Angela Lansbury one. I can't remember the name of it, but it it just, I love Angela Lansbury. So I just thought that was really, really cool that you're doing that show. And how often do you do these shows? Well, the Wartime Women one has been more successful in many ways. Despite people telling me that it was never so. That's another thing. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. Right. You go to a, you go to a, a theatre, right? You go to the, or, or you talk to a bunch of um, producers, quite a lot, often they're men, okay? Mm-hmm. And you bring out your flyers and you talk about your show. And I point out to them what I'm in and how I got the times in and how I got these wonderful reviews and stuff like that. And they just look at me and say, that won't sell. Uh. <laughs> I get so much of that. Charming. Anyway, so, uh, but in fact, funnily enough, that one has spawned more opportunities than a lot of the other ones have. Because what this does, what, what the show is, it, it was it was stimulated really by the research that I did for 20th Century Woman because I found out you know a, a lot of the things that women did during warfare. So this particular show uh, starts with Queen Elizabeth I, has a quick whiz through the 18th century and comic songs about women uh, dressing up as men. True stories: women dressing up as men and getting into the Marines and so on. And one of them got shot in the groin, which is rather tricky if you're trying to hide your sex. You have to- so she pulled out, this is honestly true, she, she actually got her finger and thumb and she got the musket ball out of her own... Oh, my gosh. Oh. She really did. She really did do that. And later, she became... She, when she left the army, she managed to get a pension and um, she went on the stage doing the music course and she sang about it in her uniform and she caused a sensation. She was a oh. remarkable woman. So I've got this very funny song that I do about her. 
And uh, then it went on to the Great Wars, you know, World War One and World War Two. And of course, we've been celebrating the centenary of World War One for the last four years because it was such a huge part of our history and it changed our history. It changed our whole society. Right. The whole thing with World War One. And what was not known was the amount of work that the women did. And without the women stepping into the men's role, the country would have just literally ceased to operate mm-hmm. because they did all sorts of things that they had never, never done before. And I realized that my grandmother was there because I remember her telling me stories about having seen the Zeppelins fly over the, the harbor and one of them blowing up. And she saw men jumping out and falling into the sea. And she said, I saw Germans dropping into the sea. I really did. I saw that. Yeah. Wow. So um, I had this this family connection as well. So that was what started off the war stories and the war songs. And I I actually get real diary extracts. I get real memoirs from people, magazine articles and songs and poetry the women wrote at the time. One about a very frustrated lady who wanted to be much more active than she really was in 1916. And she was sitting there and sewing endlessly sewing shirts for the soldiers. Oh. And it drove her mad. She wanted to do something more. And she wrote this extraordinary poem about it. So all of that got into this show. And although in some respects it's difficult to get theatres to take it, where it spawned opportunities is in other shows to do with the war. So that, for example, I did another one. I was invited to take part in something called Two End All Wars. And Hugh Bonville, who played Lord Grantham in uh, Downton Abbey mm. and became well known in the States, he was he was in it. I played opposite him. Wow! Was, yeah, so I mean that was marvelous. <laughs> and uh, I did that. Also, I met a lady who lives a lot of the time in Belgium, in Ypres, where a lot of the killing fields were, where a lot of the battles were fought out. And she's invited me many times now to perform there. And in fact, later in the year. I'm joining forces with her on the production side to do a big <coughs> charity gala in the West End Theatre, which is going to raise money for veteran soldiers. And that will be quite near the date of when the Armistice War that ended World War One. So every year, because Remembrance Month comes round every year, that's actually spawned opportunities that I would never have thought of, mm. which has been very interesting, when, especially when people tell me that won't sell. I thought, yeah. well, well actually <laughs> it's done rather well thank you <laughs> that's funny that's funny yeah. how how do you even how do you find the venues to approach about i mean i wouldn't have the first clue how to go out and find a theater and talk to them about you know putting my show on how do you even go about that well at the time i was starting to uh put cameras into shows there were very few small scale theaters and even now this is a problem in london but to most theatres are just too big, even the middle scale ones are too, are really a bit too big for cabaret. But two started up at once. And one of them was actually part of the theatre. It was at a little studio theatre down below. And the other one was a proper music venue. And there was also an, another one, another couple actually, um, of music venues that were around. And I started going there. And also at the time I was writing for various blogs and theatre things to do reviews and do critique of other cabaret artists because at that time nobody was writing reviews of cabaret artists mm. because um, so the, it was when the internet and the blogs started coming out that people were saying well okay well let's get these reviews done because the major papers wouldn't publish them because by the time 
it had come out, the show had finished because most right. shows use you one or two nights. So it was difficult to get that kind of mainstream press. So I started writing reviews and my face was around all the time in the in the theatre. So I got to know the programmers and they got to know me and they got to know my music and so on. And um, I started getting bookings from that. Mm. And then I then met a tour booker later on. In fact, it was the lady that took me to Belgium, introduced me to a tour booker. And he started booking me in tours in different parts of the UK. <laughs> so that was really how it was started from there. And it isn't an easy thing. You can't repeat it very often because it's difficult to get those kind of audiences and the, the, the bookers are still very wary of a lot of this style of theatre. But nevertheless, you can do some of it and it's, it's, it's still well worthwhile doing it. If only just to be able to sort of get out there and be in front of people and, and, and do the thing you want to do. Absolutely. And, you know, that brings up a question that I was going to ask later, but I'm going to ask it now. You and I met in a course called Impacting Millions, where we are learning how to do our own PR. And I, you know, since you said you were kind of using blogs and that was kind of getting your face out there and it helped you get in with these directors, how do you plan to use what you're learning in Impacting Millions and PR to kind of further your career in cabaret and music in general? Well, I certainly think that the more people are talking about you, the more people are reading what you're doing or listening to what you're doing, then um, the more you are in the general air. And with such a lot of noise and so much going on and so much competition mm. to get audiences, especially in a town like London, that you, you really do need to be up first and more in people's minds. Well, you, you're just going to be forgotten very, very quickly. So... I also realized, and I hadn't ever thought about this before, that I had got a whole backlog of a whole ton of press that's been written about me that's been good, and I just wasn't utilizing it. I had no idea how to leverage it mm. or to make it work for me. And I thought, well, heck, I ought to do this again. I ought to sort of bring, up, bring those things up, start it again, start writing to people. One, one particular podcast, wouldn't take me for some particular reason, but he nevertheless helped me to meet somebody else who runs a theatre. And so I'm going to start doing, just to sort of, again, get myself out there heard more and, and uh, speaking about the things that I'm, I'm passionate about and writing about things. I don't critique anymore because I invite people on to Jimmy Jane and Western Friends, so I, I feel that that muddy is water too much. But there's no reason why I couldn't write about what makes a good show, what makes a good cabaret song, how to set up your own cabaret for people who have not done it before and feel a bit nervous about doing it. And a lot of actors feel very nervous about doing it because you actually can see the whites of the eyes of the audience. And mm. Most actors are just not used to that. So I could be of help to people setting up something. I thought, well, it stimulated a whole train of thought of other things that I could be doing to further people's knowledge of me and what I'm able to do. And also, it was in fact from a cabaret that I got a theatre job as well last year. Somebody saw me and approached my musical director and said, do you think she'd like to play the Queen in a play I've written? And so um, I ended up going to Brighton Fringe on the Brighton Festival last year, playing Her Majesty the Queen when she was um, in Paris some years back. So that's that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah, so you're kind of jumping off of what I like about that is you're kind of making yourself synonymous with the genre. 
by doing those kind of blogs and, and talking about the genre of cabaret and making people more aware of it. And then, you know, it just makes it so much easier to have the conversation because you're kind of known for yes. that genre. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Really yeah. smart. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure how well it's working yet, but um, yeah, it's it, still- it's, it is a long game for sure. It's it's yeah. time consuming, right? It's a lot more time consuming than you know other ways where you can just like pay for something and get it. Like you have to work at it. Yes, yes, you do, and it can't you can't ever stop. You can't rest on your laurels at all. No, you really can't. Yeah. No. As far as like fans that you've kind of gotten over the years from your shows do you have a way to interact with fans outside of your cabaret shows do you have online platforms where you interact with fans or connect with them i've got an email list which is reasonably large although i've noticed that um i'm aren't opening it so somewhere something's gone wrong there that's pretty normal is that it is your open rates go down over over time oh okay all right so that's what's Comforting, I suppose. Um, but uh, so that's been my best way of doing it because often people have asked to be on it. So that helps. I also do do a certain amount of social media, nowhere near enough. Honest, you just, I, I, I can never seem to sort of get organized to do it. And I don't, it's not natural for me to do it. So I have to sort of think and remind myself to do it. I need to have some kind of system where I do it better, I feel. But I am thinking that I ought to start blogging and doing things more on, um, perhaps on YouTube, learning how to video myself a bit better. I mean, I've got chunks of my shows that have been videoed and, and little trailers, but I've never actually spoken very much to camera just like that, except for when I was introducing one of my shows once. Mm. So I thought, well, perhaps I could be working more at that as well and getting back to the blogging, which I stopped for a while. Yeah, just sort of trying to increase, increase that in a way that is going to be more effective. At the moment, it's... It, it's it's not enough what I'm doing, I feel. I think I ought to be doing more of all of that to sort of get it out there. I mean, I'm not, not doing anything, but I'm not doing enough of it. And I don't think I, I systemized, systematized it enough. To, yeah, to- that's really it, right? To have a system of how am I actually going to use this? <clears throat> how am I going to use my email list? How am I going to use you know, these assets that I'm building, my blog and all that to like funnel fans into where I want them to go, whether that's your live shows to go to your, you know, tea talks, uh, eventually to buy some music on CD, you know, wherever you go with that. Like that's the reason we're building those assets, right? Right. Right. Yes. And sometimes too, I've just been a bit slow about actually getting on with it because especially if I haven't got a show coming up, I don't know what to write about. I mean, um, I, I know you should be sort of writing about the sort of things that you're doing throughout the day. And, you know, if I'm going to an interesting show or to someone's concert or to an art gallery or something like that, to, to put that on, I'm starting to sort of get the idea that, you know, these are the things that stimulate you, so you should put, put it out there. Um, so that helps. But quite often, I sometimes get people onto my, my mailing list. This is true confession for um, And um, I haven't even sent out a letter because... I haven't got a show coming up and I'm thinking, I don't know what to write about. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah, so I've got to get over that and start writing about something to keep it going. Well, uh, this is really interesting because this is a struggle that a lot of people that I work with have. And so, you know, it, I think they're going to listen to this and go, oh, not, I'm not the only one, you mm. know? So I think that's, that's really helpful. And yeah, absolutely. Like 
writing about things that inspire you, concerts that you're going to, like you said, art galleries, like anything that has to do with the subject matter of the shows that you put on the stage mm-hmm. would, would yeah. definitely be interesting to people in that, in that way. Oh, even an email letter. I mean, I, yeah. I, I can understand it with a Facebook, but all right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I shall try it. I shall try writing a letter about things I have been to in the last week and just sort of see what happens. Or, you know, write a blog about it and then send people there, you know, put an excerpt in your email newsletter and send them to the blog. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Then you get comments on that maybe. Perhaps. Right. Oh, absolutely. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, is there any kind of like resource that you would recommend that has helped you over the years, whether it's a book, a blog, um, podcast, anything that's helped you, whether it's in music, in the business side, or even like the self-development side? Yeah, um, I've got four here. Wow, awesome. Yeah. One of them is written by another cabaret artist uh, who does a lot of work on shows another Brit called Gary Williams is lovely chat actually and uh, he he wrote a book called Cabaret Secrets Mm. and the subtitle is how to create your own show travel the world and get paid to do what you love nice subtitle it tells you exactly what you're going to get I love that exactly and he does podcasts well and he he, um, interviewed me some years back because he liked my marketing so he he did a podcast on marketing and he, he interviewed me about that so that's for anybody interested in, in, in cabaret, I would certainly recommend that. And one of the things that got me started before I actually put my first one together was written by Bob Harrington, who I believe, I don't know if he's still alive actually, but I, I think he was a, um, a critic for the New York Times at one stage, or certainly for one of the New York papers. And he wrote the Cabaret Artist's Handbook, and that's definitely worth having a good read. But the mindset ones, now this, is, this was interesting because I, suffer from lack of focus when I get very distracted because there's so much going on in the show mm. when I can see everything going on around me and I've got my head partly still in my producer's head and I'm not perhaps totally in it with the performance I notice that things can sort of disappear for me sometimes so mm. I'm trying to overcome that kind of lack of focus which I think is probably a manifestation of nerves kicking in actually and there's been two things. One was called Mastering the Audition, written by an American lady. Um, it's called Mastering the Audition, How to Perform Under Pressure mm-hmm. by Donna Soto Moratini. And she wrote it because she was inspired by sports psychologists. And she thought, we really don't have enough performance psychologists around. So she wrote it from that angle, which is exactly the sort of thing that was useful. And also, there's a blog, it's a very good blog, and he sends out emails every week if you ask me to, by someone called Noah Kageyama, and it's called Bulletproof Musician. Oh. Yep. You should know about that one. I have not heard that one before. Okay. It's really, really good. And it helps you with all sorts of ways, different ways to approach your practice, and different ways to approach your, your performances as well. And he's well worth having in your inbox every Sunday. And in many ways, I found that the most useful because he it's, it comes every week. So on a Sunday, I would just read it. Mm. And I was just getting this drip feed of different ways of you know, thinking about how you're actually going to approach something and where you're going to put your mindset. And that actually is worth knowing. So if anybody out there suffers like me with sometimes from an excess of nerves or gets lost in themselves, that's actually a good word for you to, to talk to. Mm. 
That's great to check that one out. And I definitely, I mean, I think for you being like a one woman show that, that producer's hat and that performer's hat, it's probably hard to not be distracted by one or the other as you're doing it because you're trying to keep all these things in your mind. And, you know, as you're performing, you might notice something that like bothers you about something that you can't do anything about at that moment because you're in the middle of performing. You know, I can imagine yeah. how that would be. Yes, that happens far too often. It really does. So that can be a problem. And also just the trying to do everything. What I've learned is that you know, I can be taught to do just about anything, even tech, which I do mm. find very difficult. Which um, you demonstrated today very well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, but while I can learn to do everything, I can't do everything. You know what I mean? I, can't, I can do anything, but not everything. Right. And there's, I've only, uh, there is an, a minor little detail of learning to learning all your lines and all of your songs and preparing for a two-hour show where it's just you and the pianist. That's actually quite a big thing in itself. And to be worrying about getting PR and worrying about getting your audiences in and worrying about this and the other thing, it, you know, your, your head explodes. I can and tell I, you right now, all the musicians listening to this are saying amen to that. Like they have yeah. the same experience. Because in a way, an indie artist is almost like their own, you know, producing their own one woman show as well, you know, yeah. in a little bit of a different way. But yeah, you have to wear so many hats that you feel like maybe you're not wearing any of them very well. Yes. Yeah, that's right. You say, well, what, what do I do? What do I do? No, what's, what's going to be my priority today? You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I think I need to get to a point where I can take on other people to take on some of the, some of the load so I can actually concentrate on the main bit. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. Well, this has been really great and really enlightening. I've never had a cabaret artist on here before. And I think it's just a really cool genre. And like I said, it has a lot of, you know, parallels to the independent musician and the way that we kind of run our career and um, wear all those hats and everything. So I think that's been really enlightening to a lot of our listeners. So can you let our listeners know how to find you online? Yes, certainly. One thing I will do, I want to give a shout out to somebody who introduced you and me, uh, that's Summer Tannhauser. Absolutely. Because she actually, this, she does things really that are about business and about entrepreneurial, and uh, particularly she aims at, I think, pretty much at women mostly. So in terms of business savvy and getting you thinking about the right sort of things to do with business alone and um, general good advice on, on publicity and on Pinterest and all that, check out Summer Tannhauser. She's very good too. Okay. Right, now to get in touch with me, I, I've got a website which is www.fionajanewestern.com and it's all one word, Fiona Jane Weston, all in lowercase. No, um, is what, there a hyphen in there or no? No, no, no nothing, hyphen. just okay. straight through, Fiona Jane Weston with an O, not Weston with an ER. And my email, in case the Richard button isn't working because my tech is not particularly great, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it probably isn't working properly. So um, if you want to have my email, it's Fiona Jane, again, all one word, Fiona Jane at FionaJaneWeston.com. Perfect. Awesome. And then if, if they're in London or your area, like where, oh. how would they find out when you're going to be performing your shows? Well, if you want to sign up for my email list, you'll, you'll definitely know all about that. But, but please do get in touch, you know, email me, I'll put you on my list. I'd, I'd love to know if you're in London. Um, I'd love to be able to tell you where all the good venues are and all that mm. sort of thing. It'd be great. I'd love to have, love to be in touch. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. This has been really great. I really appreciate being able to talk to you today. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.